7.03, and boy, oh boy, are we getting down to the nitty-gritty. And you'll hear about it tonight on Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, we've been waiting months for this, to know who we're going to get to see in February in the Super Bowl, and it's been determined... And I think a lot of people, especially AFC fans, are not going to be thrilled to be seeing Tom Brady once again. You know, we're going to break down yesterday's games, talk about the future. But what's your first thoughts on, on you know, if you didn't watch yesterday, just waking up and seeing, okay, Rams versus Patriots in the Super Bowl. Great matchup in terms of the young versus the old. I yeah. mean, Jared, the team that's an up and coming on the rise, the Rams are... They were thinking about they're probably a year or two in where they were supposed to be because they're opening this brand new stadium in two years in L.A. Um, they don't really have much of a fan base. And then you have the Patriots, this dynasty for the last, it seems like, 20 years. So yeah. it's going to be a great matchup in terms of Belichick versus McVay, the old mastermind versus the young wonderkin. And then you have the quarterback in terms of Goff and Brady. It's supposed to be like McVay is the new Belichick. So it worked out perfectly the way that this is going to this is going to shape up. I agree with you. I think this was like two soon. I, I thought it was going to take the Rams another two or three years to get to this level, but they showed they can hang with the best and they looked really good yesterday for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have getting the home field advantage in terms of getting the bye. You can see whether the importance of why the regular season to get the bye, but it seems like when you get then to this game, I mean, they were able to win in New Orleans. I was there at the game and uh, the loudest stadium I have ever been to my entire life, and that's giving that team a lot of credit to be able to overcome uh, tremendous fan noise like that. Um, let's talk about it. Uh, Jeff Nixon is going to join us right about 7.20 here on Iron Sports. You want to give us a little rundown on Jeff Nixon? Jeff is the Jeff is, was a former uh, uh, running backs coach for the Miami Dolphins for four years. So he has an insight in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He actually worked for, was a coach for the 49ers and he's the current offensive coordinator for Baylor. So we talk about the Big 12 and he's considered one of these great, great minds in terms of where the game is going. I think mm -hmm. he's the perfect guest to have on because he's actually worked in pro and college and someone who is, I see on the list as someone who's either going to be a top offensive coordinator at maybe at another program or at someone who could potentially be a, a, football, a head football coach in the pros or college. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss this. 720 on Ira on Sports. Ira, you, you, ragged, you ra racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles this past week. And, you know, one of the fun things that we're going to do for you here on Ira on Sports is let you tag along with Ira. So we're on Instagram now. It's at Ira on Sports. Get to see all these awesome pictures and fun that Ira has uh, as he jet sets around the country. So where were you this week, guy? Well, the first time on, I was in LA, stayed in LA and on Friday night, I saw the DeMarcus Cousins debut. So I'd love to talk about that a little later in the yeah. show, which was a tremendous game in terms of the Clippers. As I, I say, it was a playoff atmosphere to have the war, have Cousins come to the Warriors, his first game. He's been out all year with a torn Achilles and uh, it was very exciting to see him back. And then I flew to New Orleans on Saturday and saw one of the greatest football games I've ever seen in terms of the <laughs> Saints first. The only thing that might have topped it was the game after, but I saw the Saints Rams game in New Orleans. What about the 2007 Super Bowl? I think that was one of the <laughs> best games ever. Um, I do feel like, you know, seeing the Superdome, that should be on every NFL fan's bucket list. And it's not your first time there, but tell us about, uh, you know, your experiences this weekend. Well, it was fun flying on the plane from LA because there was a ton of Saints fans on that plane. And um, they were screaming who dat the entire time. And there were only two Rams players, two Rams fans on there. And uh, I went to a bar. I went there. It's called Tipitina's. It's uh, in uh, the Garden District. That, and they had this band called The Radiator. So it was like a classic New Orleans bar. Everyone was decked out in Saints gear. This town... 
they don't have a baseball team. They have a basketball team, but they haven't really had it. <laughs> they don't have a hockey. This is their team. They love it. I mean, everybody loves it. You, it's it. They don't. You have not. Most people that are not even sports fans or just music fans are Saints fans. It is the thing that brings the entire community together. Everyone loves to dress up. Uh, there's no one on the roads during the games. Everybody's watching the games. Uh, they. It is. It is. It's defining that town, and people love to dress up and the, the excitement and enthusiasm before the game. They had maybe 20, 30,000 people in this plaza outside the Superdome mm. listening to Cheap Trick, <laughs> ready to go in the game. I, I was at the game 55 minutes before the game, packed. People, I've never seen, I, I like to get there early for the game. It's there two hours before. But like it, when the Saints came out with 55 minutes before for their first war, people were screaming and yelling then. Um, and it's like, Everyone dresses up. It's not New York style where we have to be cool. I'm going to go somewhere else afterwards. I have to have my whatever. It, everyone is dressed. They're either wearing jerseys. They're wearing the beads. They're wearing the hats. Mm-hmm. They're wearing the crazy stuff all over. And it's not just a few crazy fans. It's like everybody. And I'm sitting like on the 35-yard line. And these are people that have seats for decades. And they were just so into it. And then it was just very exciting to be at that game. And then uh, I, I, I also I was in the they have this thing called a, the bunker club. Mm. So usually in these stadiums the club level is on the second level, but in this stadium and some they're starting in other places in the Dolphin Stadium too. Is they have a club underneath, so you can have you can sit actually down the lower level mm-hmm. and then run down to the bunker. And I was lucky because when I stand, of course everyone stands the entire game. And luckily before in front of me were very two short people, so I was not <laughs> blocked at all. That's like originally you're tall yourself. You well, I'm tall, but there was like a six seven guy who was standing there with another like a, a woman who was like six foot tall before and I think oh my gosh they're standing in front of me before the game and then they went and moved to another seat and then I had I was like that was the, I felt like that was my first <laughs> victory of the game um, tell us a little bit this fan base it's like I said I've always wanted to experience this What's a team you would relate it to? Maybe like a Green Bay? Because you like when you're saying, oh, the city shuts down. Like that's what I think of when I think of Packers fans. Something like along those lines. And it's the opposite of New York. Like, you know, we, we're both, uh, you know, in New York a lot. And that's not how people It's are also like LA. The, the difference between LA and the Ram. Uh, well, LA is probably the worst when it right. comes to that. I, I would compare it to Pittsburgh. I compare really? it to that type of feeling that they have. And everyone, it's the idea that it crosses over to non sports fans. Like there is everybody in the town. And also, it, there's a lot of new people that moved to New Orleans, but they have embraced the team. I, it's the one like people down to move to South Florida don't become Dolphin fans, but I see a lot of people that moved to New Orleans that just become Saints fans, uh, even if they were in New England or they were Patriots fans. They they actually have become Saints fans. That town they really get behind their team. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ten minutes away from Jeff Nixon, offensive coordinator at Baylor, joining us. This should be really fun. Um, all right, why don't we get into the game? I this was a great game, and you know we were talking before we went on air. I think this game could have got out of hand early, and it didn't, and that ended up costing the Saints at the end. Well, I've been listening to everything, flying, driving, every for the last day, and I, I'm telling you, the commentary about this game is you think there was only one play they played at the end of the game was the pass interference when the Saints had the ball, and it was clearly one of the worst calls of all time. But there was so much more to the game than one call, and we watched last weekend. To me, the first, the Saints lost this game in the first half. This game should have been over like the last weekend's games. Three of the four games were could have been twenty-one nothing. Could have been twenty-one. Could have been twenty-eight nothing at home. I mean, the one thing is the Eagles had the Saints were leading the Saints fourteen nothing the previous week, but that was in New Orleans, so New Orleans was able to mm-hmm. come back. But if you had that crowd noise with a team that's down, if they were up 21, 28 nothing at that level, there's no way the Rams could come back. There's no way anybody would have been able to come back. As I said, I have never heard noise like that. These fans screamed louder than at the Steeler game. I almost thought there was being. I couldn't hear. I have a radio when I'm at the game. I couldn't hear my radio. I couldn't hear talk to the person next to me. <laughs> I my ears started to hurt. I mean, I saw a lot of people with things in their ears. I'm like, I've never seen so many people with. 
with with earplugs in their in their ear because it's a NASCAR thing. Yeah, it's a NASCAR. <laughs> but it was that loud. Like I, my ears were hurting during the game. The fans know how to scream. They would. They were on when the Saints were on offense. They were quiet. When the Saints were on defense, they just let it. And they everybody screamed. Not just the kids or not the crazy. I mean, we're talking people that every single person screamed. Everyone. They were yelling at me for not screaming. I was, <laughs> I was sort of a disinterested observer. But I thought it was interesting. The Rams deferred on, and I, I thought the Rams were going to get the ball and go down. And I think giving the ball to the Saints to start was a huge mistake, huge mistake. And it, it ended up, they won the game, but I just, I do not. Yeah. When you have an offense like they have, you got to, you can't give it to New Orleans not to start in their the house game. either. I mean, I mean, Sue stopped Kamara for the gain on the first play. They converted a third down, and then and then Kamara, who I thought was going to be the star of the game, I mean, was just dominant on that first drive. And they go they go all the way down, ready to score a touchdown, and they threw to Dan Arnold in a touchdown. He had the ball in his hands, and he dropped it. Yeah. That could have been seven nothing in the first three minutes of the game. They kick a field goal. The Rams come back, so now you're just sitting. Now everybody's excited. Well, you got a field goal. The Rams come back. Gurley takes the ball minus four yards. Then he drops an inter- a ball that becomes an interception. So now the Saints have the ball like on the 20 yard line again and they're ready to yep. score again and this is what we're going to talk about a little later Gurley was just I don't we don't know if he was hurt if it's mentally or something but Gurley was not the Gurley that I mean this is a guy that ran last year 1300 yards this year for another 1300 yards he had 17 touchdowns this year mm-hmm. he is like if you're thinking about fantasy for next year and you're seeing how poorly he's playing in these games he had four carries for 10 yards uh, it, you saw exactly are you nervous that Gurley's going to be the number one fantasy player because I see a lot of projections for next year saying Gurley is the number one and you'd be scared to draft Gurley at number one right now I'd be scared to draft Gurley at number five or six because it looks like he's going to be in a share that's with- what scares me though in this situation, I was just, nobody's talking about what's wrong with him. You know, last week I understand CJ Anderson was a hot hand. He was still good this week, but four carries? This is just not, it doesn't make any sense. Like, go on. But this, yeah, then the, the Saints get the ball back, and you're thinking, okay, now they'll score a touchdown. They're like a 20 yard line. But unfortunately, they just said Ingram had a one yard run. They missed a few passes, six nothing. So now it's six nothing, but it should be almost 14 nothing, not six nothing. What do the Rams do the next time? Gurley, one yard, two passes to Woods. Then they, they're three and out, and they punt again. Mm-hmm. So the Rams have had the ball twice, have done nothing. The Saints get the ball down. They go down and, and it, it, it pass the Hill, pass to Thomas. They had, there was on third down, they passed it to Kamal. Which was absolutely tremendous, and they have fourth down on the one yard line, and like ready to go for, run for go for a first down, and the and the Rams jump off sides, so they score a touchdown. So it's now thirteen yeah. nothing. So it's like this game is a blowout. Like I'm ready to say I'm not going to take notes anymore because it's over. Like it's over. It should really be at that point twenty one nothing. It's only thirteen nothing, but you really saw nothing that the Rams were going to do. Well, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking though at that exact same time. Like this game is getting out of hand. Like this should be out of hand already, but there's no chance the Rams are going to rebound from this, and then wasn't the case but then what was so funny is that the Rams get the ball and you're like okay now it's desperation time and the, the first time they they came back they uh uh it was fourth they, they they couldn't get a first down it was fourth and five and they go for a fake they go for a fake punt and uh I mean on their own 30 yard line a fake punt it was crazy strange call it was and it worked. It worked. <laughs> and and was so mad is that that they had run this punt before, and I was shocked that so many like it was people the the Saints fans were furious. They're like, we knew they did this before. They like people in the fans were not. They were really yelling at. I was sitting behind the Saints bench, and you could see like it's almost like the Saints should have been knowing it was coming. Mm-hmm. And if if that doesn't succeed, it's thirteen nothing. They're gonna the Ram the Saints would get the ball back there. They would probably go and score twenty. Gutsy call by McVay. Gutsy call and one that he had to do. They go down there. Goff made a great scramble on, on that possession. They only got a field goal, but that stopped the bleeding. That field goal stopped the bleeding. But then suddenly the Saints, I think that took that that fake punt was the key of the game because mm. I think then the Saints come back and now suddenly their offense can't move. Three and out and a punt. And then the, the Rams come down. They get the ball. 
And they, 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 but they don't score, but it's still 13 3. So there's still the Saints are like, okay, we're in great shape. We're in great shape. They go down and they're like, they have the ball at the end of the first half. So they have a chance to go. They're 13 3. Let's make it 23, just like at the Patriots game when they Patriots scored the last t- touchdown. And Sue came up with two tremendous sacks on Breeze, sacked him. And suddenly they have to punt the ball back, mm-hmm. giving Goff two minutes left. Like, worst case scenario, they have the ball, time runs out. The Rams don't have anything, 13 3. But instead, Goff comes down there and then Suddenly, the Rams' offense gets ignited. I mean, he's throwing to Reynolds, he's throwing to Crooks, and then and then he threw a pass to Crooks at the oh, over the shoulder. It was a thirty-yard pass. He get to, on the two-yard line. One of the best passes. I mean, Goff has so many passes where I'm like, where's he throwing it? He looks so bad. And then he throws that perfect strike to Crooks. So then at the end of the first half, it's thirteen ten. So this is a half that it should have been a complete blowout. Is suddenly the Saints up thirteen mm-hmm. ten? It could have been twenty-eight to three at this point in this game, and that that was just. The entire cadence of that game was just off, and maybe it's because of you know Sean McVay being the guy he is. That's uh, you know uh, thinking outside the box and playing differently. I didn't think that's how they were going. That what their, what their game plan was going to be. I wasn't ready for that. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about five minutes. Jeff Nixon's going to be joining us here. Got a lot to talk about with him. All right, Iris. So go on. Um, this game, it was a tale of two halves. It was not the same game in the first as it was in the second. Let's let's hear about it. Well, it, I think the, it was, yeah, because then what happened is the team started moving a little bit more in the second half. The Rams went three and out, so they deferred. They said, okay, we're going to get the ball in the second half. Remember, your choice is, if you win the toss, to defer, take it when the, when you get the ball, or you can defer the second half. And some teams say, let's defer. But I said, don't be behind. Like, you want to start the game going out. So they, But they deferred, and they were three and out. They didn't even get a first down. Then the Saints got the ball back, and then finally they started throwing it to Kamal. Screen pass after screen pass after screen pass to Kamara. It was unbelievable. Then Ingram had a 26-yard run, and then they got they get down to second and goal. And this is where I think Sean Payton overthinks things. Everything's rolling mm. great. He brings Hill into the game at quarterback. Like, why would you take Breeze? This Hall of Fame, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you take Hill out and put Breeze out to the side, put Hill in, and he almost fumbles the ball. I mean, and then they don't get it, they don't do it. But on third and two, Breeze threw to Hill. They score a touchdown. And then, but the key thing, so now they're up 20 to 10. But then the Rams come back and they score. Make it twenty to seventeen. Uh, it was just again crooks two long passes from Goff, and Goff is suddenly rolling, and he's really looking great at the, at there. And then, then it begins right at the end of the third quarter, and the Saints drive down there, so they get two first downs to the fifty, and they go. It's third and seven, and they talk about the bad plays. I think the Saints got like three bad calls in that. And mm. the first was on third and seven on the 47. They're up 2017. They throw it to Ginn. I thought Ginn was interfered with. He was held. It's, and they didn't call the inter- there. They didn't call the interference on that play when I thought that was also a play to interference. There was awful calls all game. Right. But then the Rams, so you'll think, oh, and I'm like thinking that's that's where like it's 2017, drive down there, make a two-score game. They couldn't do it. Rams get the ball back and Goff gets sacked twice by Cam Jordan, three and out, they punt. Then I said, this is, I wrote, I talked to everyone. I said, this is the drive to Atlanta. You're up 20 to 17, get that two scores. And the first thing they do, they have on the ball in the 46, because remember, they punted from like the five-yard line. Mm. So now they have the chance to go 50 yards, score the touchdown, game over. And they go... First play they do, Ingram runs, but there's a holding penalty. And then they screw around, and they even get in field goal condition and have to punt the ball back. So then the, then the, Rams, the Rams go. They take this long drive down. They started, remember, on their own nine-yard line again. They go. They converted a bunch of third downs. They A huge pass um, from Goff to Everett, the tight end. Amazing mm-hmm. pass where he ran, where he just ran. It seemed like running forever. And then they go down to fourth and goal on the one. 
and it's 20 to 17 and they and they kick with 5 minutes to go and they kick a field goal to tie. Now a lot of people said you're fourth and like an inch there's a chance to take the lead and they just tie to go 20 to 20. But the Saints go down and that's the famous drive with 5 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Um they on third and 2 Kamara made an amazing amazing catch. Uh Breeze and then Breeze threw that pass. What's lost in that last drive is Breeze threw a pass to Ginn that I thought was going to be an interception. <laughs> it was a terrible pass but Ginn came back and caught the ball. But they made a great play. So it's first and 10 on the 13 with two minutes to go. So the point is you're either going to score a touchdown here and go 27-20 or you're just going to run the clock out like we talked about is like the best defense is a great offense just hold the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's when they threw the pass to Thomas. Uh it was incomplete and uh, the question was uh oh, no, I'm sorry they threw it to Lewis and Nikel Robbie Coleman. I saw it I mean live when you I didn't know what the defensive back was doing because the defensive back just flew at Lewis, just like flew at him and, and hit him helmet to helmet. Mm-hmm. And you can watch the replays. Everybody's seen it. It was clearly pass interference. What surprised me, the guy who did the, uh, the referee who was right there saw the play and said the ball was tipped. So it's tipped. You're allowed to knock someone over. And you're not allowed to use a helmet to helmet. But then the other official said, no, no, the ball wasn't tipped. So that, you know, that's interference. They did not get together and, and clear that up. So I thought that was a horrendous decision there. And then, but they were settled for a field goal. <clears throat> and then the Rams went down. So the Rams are left with a minute 26 to go. And they were able to drive down and score and, and, and actually kick that field goal to, to, to go to an overtime. Uh, and then in overtime, you're the, just like in the Patriots game, you really felt like this, the, the, the Saints had this game. The Saints got the ball first. They were going to drive down. They were going to score a touchdown. And they were going to go to Atlanta. And that's all they wanted. They were obsessed with Atlanta, obsessed with Atlanta, go to Atlanta. And, uh, they, you know, on the first, on the, then Breeze on the third play was the, it was tipped at the line of scrimmage by Fowler and it was intercepted. Rams get the ball. And again, the Rams, people talk about this, Goff played so great. Well, he didn't really get a first down, didn't do anything. And uh, at that point, he, uh, they just, they actually ran a few plays, got in. The, the two plays he ran was he threw to the tight end when he, they were, they were uh, rushing him in terms of blitzing him. And he was able to get down to the 39 yard line, still kicking a 56 yard field goal. The 56 yard field goal to win a game and I think it was the longest field goal to ever win a playoff game uh, tremendous hit kick uh, and that stadium was so quiet and <laughs> the people left and they were so depressed and it was I to go from the they were so certain they were going to win the game they were so enthusiastic screaming so loud to go to nothing was just uh, was just it was ama- I think people were just stunned and I compare it to one other place. When the Cavaliers beat the Warriors, I saw Game 7, and I was there when the Warriors, that 72-win Warriors season, and when LeBron came back from 3-1, mm-hmm. that's the same type of feeling where I can't believe we just lost. The people couldn't even fathom they had lost the game. No, you're right. Yeah, you could look at the crowd and see just the, the shock and disbelief on people's faces. Did you, you know, Before we get to um, Jeff Nixon here in just one second, was the stadium getting quieter as it went on? It looked like you know in the first... Uh, first half, Goff couldn't understand anything. But then once he found a groove and started putting some offense together, he seemed much more comfortable, didn't have so many issues with McVay. Was it kind of trailing off? At- I think what Goff did to help the crowd noise is that a lot of times, that he, if he completed a long pass when they were on their drives, he would just go, like once he completes a pass, so there's fans are screaming, screaming, screaming. So they complete the long pass. So the fans are disappointed that, oh no, there's a pass complete or there's a big play. Well, he goes right up to the line and then runs the next play. He didn't spend time running another play and 
getting the fans all into it. So he sort of beat the crowd noise because the crowd is naturally, oh, I can't believe they just gave mm-hmm. up a 20-yard play. He goes to the line. So he was able, I think, by doing quicker counts, sort of neutralizing the crowd noise. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. It's 722. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring in Jeff Nixon, co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach at Baylor University. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, happy to be here. Appreciate you having me on. So before I turn you over to Ira, I'm a Giants fan. And the talk of the town is that Kyler Murray is going to be the Giants pick at number six overall. You've had to face him before. What are your thoughts on how Kyler is going to pan out in the NFL if he does stick with this and not go to baseball? I, I think Kyler's going to be uh, phenomenal. Uh, just the year that he had and the, the type of athletic ability that he possesses, uh, I think uh, you know if you can get beyond his height, uh, he's going to be a, a great NFL quarterback. You know, he has all the intangibles. Uh, you know, he, the kid's a winner. Uh, didn't lose a high school game as a, as a starter. Uh, you know, started one year at Oklahoma, ended up winning the Heisman Trophy, and uh, you know, throwing and rushing for a lot of yards. So, I see him having a great uh, NFL career. And uh, you know, I was excited when he decided to come out for the NFL draft. So, Jeff, this is Ira. Thanks a lot for coming on our show. Um, I, don't, I want our listeners to know you're like considered one of these great minds now. I mean, the Big 12 is the center of offenses uh, in all of football, and you certainly are well-known and well-respected for your offensive ability in terms of – and you were also at the Miami Dolphins as a running back coach there. But I guess the question I would have is in terms of just the big picture, um, where do you see the college game, because you were both at college and pro, in terms of the schemes? Or do you see some now, the college and pro games merging in terms of how they're running offenses? Or do you still see that kind of difference between the college and pro game? Uh, no, I, I, I definitely see it emerging. You look at teams like the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you know, they're running a lot of uh, 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 college concepts. I think you know, it really kind of started with Coach Kelly. You know when he was at the, with the Eagles, uh, you know, you know, four or five years ago when he first started. Uh, but I definitely see it merging. You know, with the RPOs and the uh, you know college type read zone run game, uh, you see it more and more in the NFL. You know, pretty much every team. Yeah, I mean, and one one aspect I think of the of the offenses is the use of the running back. And you're the running backs coach at Baylor. You were at at Miami, and when you were at Miami, they were second in the NFL in terms of running. You had Lamar Miller as your running back there. So you've done everywhere you've been, great running running attacks. Where do you see that the running backs going now in terms of the pass catching, the running? I mean, certainly the Earl Campbell type of running back is not in vogue so much. <laughs> but where do you see in terms of the running games? And when you're looking and recruiting running backs and looking for players to go to Baylor, like what type of running backs? Are you looking for and what you think are going to be successful going forward in the college and pro game? I think, you know, uh, the running back position has definitely uh, taken a turn. You know, I think you no longer see a lot of running backs, you know, getting, you know, 25, 30 carries a game. I think it's more running back by committee. And then also I think you have to be able to play on three downs. You know, you got to be able to run the ball on first and second down, and you got to be able to block and catch passes on third down as, as a running back. Uh, more and more uh, teams are using the running back as a weapon, you know, uh, whether lining them up as a receiver, getting them matched up on linebackers and safeties, or, or just having them released from the backfield, uh, you know, catching passes. Uh, a lot of running backs possess the, the type of ability that, that give linebackers nightmares, you know, in space. So uh, I see that trend continuing. Uh, you know, you saw it yesterday, uh, you know, with, with the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, the running back caught a lot of balls. Uh, you know, yesterday during that game, and the same thing with the uh, 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 St. Louis Rams and the Patriots and the, and the Chiefs as well. You know, very fortunate. I coached Damian Williams at the Dolphins for uh, uh, two years, and uh, you know, shoot, he caught 
you know, two or three touchdowns yesterday, I think. Jeff, did you, uh, did you ever so, see that coming with Damian Williams? I mean, this guy, you know, we're here in South Florida, and he was an afterthought on this team, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs, and now he's a superstar. And I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, no, no, Damian has a lot of talent. You know, whenever he did play with Sullivan, he made some big plays for especially in the passing game. You know, he was our third down back, and, you know, he was able to catch balls out of the backfield and make plays in space catching the ball. Uh, but, you know, we kind of knew if he ever got his opportunity – you know, he would take advantage of it. You know, he, he didn't really play a lot for Kansas City until the playoffs, until, you know, uh, uh, unfortunate incident with, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt. Uh, you know, now Damian's got his chance and, uh, you know, very, very happy for him. Like I said, he's, a, he's a good player, good kid, and uh, uh, he deserves all the success that he's getting right now. So I guess the question, in terms of the Big 12, I, I've been sort of saying, well, they you know, I've sometimes criticized the Big 12 for not playing that great a defense, but they are playing defense in the Big 12. It just seems like the offenses are so advanced. Um, where do you see in terms of why why are the Big 12 games so high scoring? What is the what are what are the things that they're doing in the Big 12 for the offenses to score, to put on these huge numbers every game? I mean, there's pressure on you as the offense coordinator at Baylor because you have to match another team who's scoring a lot. So exactly what's going on in terms of these high scoring games and and what are the offenses doing that maybe are different from other conferences? Uh, I, I think uh, you know you have some uh, definitely you have some coordinators who are on cutting edge of uh, uh, offensive football. You know who do a great job of getting their guys in position uh, to be able to to score points. Uh, you know a lot of tempo offense in the, in the Big Twelve, maybe as compared to some of the other conferences. And uh, you know, fortunately, there's a lot of quarterbacks. You know, a lot of really good quarterbacks in Texas. You know that. You know, a lot of Big 12 teams are, are recruiting when you look at, you know, the type of kids like Baker Mayfield uh, or Charlie Brewer for us or uh, Kyler Murray. And there's a, you, know, uh, you know, Drew Brees, uh, uh, Foles. You know, there's just a lot of quarterbacks in Texas uh, over the years and, and, and still available today that, you know, are able to you know, run these tempo offenses and be able to put up big points. But in terms of, well, Baylor, you're talking about Charlie Brewer and certainly the year that you had this year. Uh, amazing. You made it to the Bowl 7-6, and six, uh, beat Vanderbilt in the Texas Bowl. Uh, things are looking, you know, Matt Rule is your head coach, is certainly talked about as being a, a great mind also along with you. Uh, what, in terms of, where do you see, where do you see Baylor coming? I mean, you have a great stadium. I mean, people, they're one of the only stadiums that's brand new. I mean, everybody goes to these football stadiums. Like, I go to tons of college football stadiums. Every stadium's like 100 years old, falling apart. We actually have a brand new, fancy 50,000 square foot stadium, 50,000 seat stadium, right on the water where you can take a boat to. Um, talk a little about Baylor for a second and, and let me know what's going on with, with Baylor's program. Uh, I think I think Baylor is a uh, university, you know, on, on the rise. Uh, you know, I think we we set a really good foundation, uh, you know, for our program uh, two years ago. You know, with with Coach Rule coming here, you know, I think Baylor hired the right guy. Uh, you know, with with Coach Rule, you know, to try to get the, the uh, program uh, turned around and get it back to playing at a championship uh, level. I think we got great uh, uh, commitment from you know our athletic director and our athletic department and the community. And Baylor is just a great place to be. I mean, you get a great education, you know, one of the best educations in the country, and, uh, you know, be able to play uh, great football in the Big 12. You know, we got excellent facilities, you know, like I said, with our stadium only being four or five years old. And, uh, you know, kids, when they come here on visits, they, they, they usually fall in love with the place and, 
like I said, I'm very fortunate to be here, be a part of the program. Well, I've been to a, a zillion football stadiums. I've never been to Baylor, but I love, I've been to Neyland. Like I've taken a boat to Neyland. I've taken a boat to Heinz Field, of course. So I love the idea of taking a boat, getting off the boat and walking to a stadium. I think that's really cool. So I definitely want to do that. I guess one, one, one of the questions I have is that you work with Charlie Brewer this year at, at Baylor in terms of, and you work with, of course, the quarterbacks and, and coming in. What what, what is there something different? Are the quarterbacks now coming more advanced, more knowledgeable about what plays you're going to do, and, and you can actually challenge them more uh, based upon what they're running in high school? That you don't have to really start from scratch in terms of when they're coming to your program, like they're, they're running and they're actually running pro style, style offenses uh, as like freshmen? Uh, yes, without a doubt, especially in Texas. Uh, uh, this is a state that is really football crazy. Uh, you know, there's great coaching at the high school level. Uh, when it comes to Texas high school football. And, you know, we're fortunate enough, you know, we recruited Charlie and, you know, he came in and, and uh, won freshman a year and was really ready to play, you know, as, as a freshman. You know, knew a lot of the ran some of the same concepts we ran in high school, uh, you know, that we implemented at Baylor. And, you know, he comes from a, a high school that's really a, a quarterback factor. You know, he plays in the same high school as uh, Baker Mayfield and, uh, you know, I think they've had like six or seven straight Division One quarterbacks coming from his from his high school. So, I think the quarterbacks in this state are really equipped to play. Uh, they're coached very well at the high school level, and uh, uh, you know, like I said, just speaking for Charlie, he came in to do a nice job, and I'm looking forward to continuing to see his growth the next two years. And then one other aspect about Baylor I just want to get back to is that you really are, and it's almost not just you, but a lot of the schools, it's that it, you are recruiting nationally. I mean, I, I was talking to you or texting you about coming on last week and you were at another, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say where you were, but you're another part of the country <laughs> and, and it's like far away from Baylor. But the point is that it, you are really recruiting nationally to Baylor. It's not just you're recruiting Texas players and, and your roster has players from all around the country. And it's challenging for you because you're traveling everywhere to get them. But I think that's, a, that's an interesting aspect more so I think in college than it used to be what you, you feel that too I mean I'm sure you, you're the one traveling around and seeing that yeah no doubt I mean we, like I said we're blessed to be in a state where there's just an abundance of division one players but you know we will uh, go to Florida and uh, uh, California you know Pennsylvania New Jersey you know we got ties up there uh, you know for 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 the right kid that we if we think fits our program you know we were fortunate enough to get uh, Taekwon Thornton out of uh, Booker T uh, last year uh, you know, right down there in Miami, and he, he came in and made an immediate impact for us. That receiver started half the season and made some really big plays for us. So, uh, you know, if there's a kid you know somewhere in the country we feel that fits our program, and uh, you know, a lot of kids are attracted to Baylor throughout the country. You know, we'll, we'll definitely get out there and recruit them. Uh, I mean, I know you're from central Pennsylvania, so it's more like, and so am I, so it's, it's more like, I, I guess, Florida and Texas and have sort of replaced the Ohio, Pennsylvania as the center <laughs> of, of football factories, per se. Yeah, yeah, but with Coach Rule and myself and, you know, a lot of guys on our staff, we have a lot of Jersey and Pennsylvania ties. So, uh, you know, we definitely recruit, uh, you know, the Philly area and the Pennsylvania area, New Jersey, uh, you know, we're, we're we're uh, you know we have some strong thresholds there, and we, we we try to get up there and recruit those kids as well. So um, we're talking to Jeff Nixon, who's the offensive coordinator for Baylor. Um, also was coach at Miami Dolphins, just around right down the road. But Jeff, just a couple more questions, and I guess one, getting ready for the the Super Bowl. In terms of looking at these teams, um, what do you think makes? I guess if you could just give me your analysis of McVeigh and Belichick, and what makes both of them such great coaches, and what they do on offense that 
that that is so different, not maybe different, but so it's clearly successful. And what and what's their, I guess, what's been keeping Belichick successful for all these years, and why McVeigh has come to the league and been a superstar in just a couple years. Uh, I think with Coach Belichick, uh, obviously, I think it's his consistency. You know, uh, you know his preparation. Uh, you know, throughout the off season and then during the season, and uh, you know, just really having his team prepared and for every situation uh, allows them to be uh, successful. And uh, you know, he's he's done a great job, obviously, in New England over his his tenure there. And uh, uh, you know, they're going to be tough to beat in a couple weeks at the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Coach McVay uh, has done a tremendous job. Uh, you know, with the with the Los Angeles Rams. You know, I was with the 49ers two years ago, and our only two two wins were uh, versus the Rams. Uh, you know, two years ago. You know, so he's 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 t- really turned that program around. You know, he's uh, very innovative on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think he did a great job of hiring uh, Coach uh, Phillips to run his defense, and uh, uh, they, they're a team on the rise with some young players who who have made some big plays and you know allow them to uh, obviously get to the Super Bowl. Do you have any prediction on on who, what you think is going to happen in the Super Bowl? Uh, man, I really don't want to predict. I mean, uh, you know, I know guys on both staffs. I, I really think it's going to be a great game. I think the, the two best teams are definitely playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, this was a great weekend for, for NFL football with the two championship games, two of the best games I've, I've seen in a while. Uh, you know, I think the two best teams are there, and it's going to be a very hard-fought game. And uh, uh, I look forward to coming down to the end again, you know, in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'd get a slight edge to the Patriots just because of uh, – uh, Tom Brady and Coach Belichick, you know, their consistency and being there uh, again and being there before. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if, 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 if the Rams pulled it off. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, um, this is Jeff. We're talking to Jeff Nixon, the office coordinator at Baylor uh, and also as a Dolphins. But I appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and uh, giving your insight. I know you're really busy with recruiting and getting ready for next year. And, and I wish you the best of luck in terms of recruiting and also best of luck in terms of next year. We'd love to have you on maybe again next year to tell us uh, during your talk during the season if you have a chance. No, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, anytime, I uh, look forward to coming back. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Jeff Nixon, excellent interview from him, the uh, offensive coordinator and running backs, running backs coach at Baylor. Um, he was fascinating. It's nice to hear the inside. You know, he's worked with all these people. I mean, if you look at Jeff's resume, it's extremely impressive. All the coaches he's worked with and players he's developed. So there's nobody who's going to know the inner workings of that coaching battle between McVay and Belichick. They're going to see two weeks uh, from yesterday. Um, so that that was that was really good. I got to ask you though, Ira. You brought up Neyland, Neyland Stadium. I obviously went to college in Tennessee. What was your thoughts on That's a, a, a drinking town with a football problem, they call it, and it gets crazy there. That's a great stadium. I was at two games at Neyland Stadium, uh, very loud. I mean, they've been down. I was there when they were with the Peyton Manning years, the Heath Schuler years, when they yeah. were really, really top, and uh, it's a very loud stadium, and it's also fun. I mean, it's like it's right on the water, so there's so many. I love the boat. Uh, at Hinesfield, the same thing, the water around the stadiums, and I've, I would love to get down to Baylor for a game because I see pictures of it and it's 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 also built the right size it's like 50,000 seats so it's not like a 85 or 90,000 seat stadium that only 50,000 people fit in there and it's built to be loud and it looks like a great stadium I don't know what's with you and taking water travel everywhere you, you took a you took a boat to the uh, to Shinnecock this year didn't you <laughs> I, I, I I take any type of vehicle planes trains boats anything to get me to a sporting event. <laughs> he's Ira I'm Mike it's Ira on sports 95.9 the true oldies channel all right you know we were already kicking the uh, the thought around about this game this was 
a, a great game, and it was a masterful performance by not only Bill Belichick, but a lot of people on the Patriots. Let's talk about what happened last night. Well, first of all, it was difficult to watch the game because when you go to the first game of one of these championship games, the other game starts because it went to overtime. So it's like I'm walking out of the stadium, trying to watch it on my phone, and then I'm <laughs> driving around, and I actually went to the airport to fly out. But I, so I, I was able to watch almost the entire game from about 10 different TV stations, whether I'm in the <laughs> South. Like, it's funny. I'm in Southwest go, going to board the flight, watching it on my iPad, and when Edelman fumbled the ball, when they thought it was a fumble, but he didn't on the, on the punt, and I threw my hat down, and I was like nervous, like I made this, they were gonna think I'm a drunk, and they're not gonna let me on the plane. And everyone's like looking at me, but but then people were went on the plane. Everyone was watching it, and the, the, almost the entire plane was like watching that game. So that was exciting. Must have been stressful during that, you know, like ten minutes with no uh, no cell phones. Or I had, I, but I, I was able to actually. It was I was on my cell phone service up into the plane, and then you switch right when you get on the plane. You could switch to Southwest, so there was no downtime. I actually, had a watching it on my phone, and then went on my tablet. So I was actually had no downtime from watching the game. You got this down down. Bad eye. So, so what happens here? I mean, th- this was a game that, uh, like I said, I-, I think it was just masterful coaching by Bill Belichick. It was the same thing he did to the Chargers. I felt like he knew what the Chiefs were going to do before they did it. It, it was brilliant. Well, they had played earlier in the year, and the Patriots won uh, the, the, this before, and they were up. They got up to a huge lead. I. I think people are saying I'm tired of the Patriots. I'm tired of Brady. I love watching. Gra- I love watching greatness. I mean, if do you, would you not want the Beatles to turn out good music? I mean, would you not yeah. want like Michelangelo to stop painting or Shakespeare to write, stop writing? I mean, if you're really good at what you're doing, I love to see greatness, and that's what it is. And I. I, I watch First Take all the time. It's on ESPN show. And Max Kellerman, I just, I mean, he's been saying that Brady's going off a cliff. And then he comes on today and he just blasts Brady saying he's the luckiest guy and lucky this. And I'm like, how can you, you have to be a true hater. I mean, there that, that's to, all it is. You have to be a hater. But Tom Brady and what the Patriots did, because the point is that he has, look at his wide receivers. Hogan and Edelman are not that great. They're not getting separation. Gronk is not Gronk of old. He has no wide receivers. As Philip Dor said, he has no wide receivers. Philip Dor said who had like zero catches this season. If you look at the, <laughs> if you look at at, at, at Crooks for uh, the Rams, and you look and look at how open he was, and and you look at, at R- R- Brooks and how, what the space he was getting for the Rams, and you get Michael Thomas for New Orleans. I mean, these guys were getting open. Look at Tyree Ty- 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 Kill for for Fastest Kansas City. League, yeah. Sammy Watkins. He has nothing, and he has these his wide receivers receivers aren't open he has very little margin of error he's no they're not getting separation he has to make perfect passes and also make perfect decisions making and he said oh it's only because of a running game and this look it's a team the the patriots are belichick and brady i don't want to separate the two they've been great together they need both of them to be successful but every great quarterback and coach has all there's always been a great coach with a quarterback it's always Mm -hmm. been that way so i just thought that again in this game the chiefs deferred new england then went 15 plays 80 yards eight minutes Three converting three turns first downs and score a touchdown uh, and went down there. Casey, I mean, it's amazing. Casey had the ball like three times the first half. The first half they had the ball because all the long drives that, that New England had, mm-hmm. and they went down again and they threw. And that's when Brady threw the ball in the interception in the in the touch in the interception in the end zone. And Casey went out three and out again. And uh, uh, and then, but Mahomes, I think during the game. He took some sacks that were really bad. Like there was a point where he could have been in field goal range and he minus 14 that he forced a punt like on the, the next to last play where they were ready to take the score and make it 7-3 mm-hmm. instead of whatever. So they so he takes the sack, has to punt, and the New England drives eight plays, 90 yards, um, 
amazing Brady Dorsett for a touchdown. So they finished the first half 14-0. Now this is nothing, zero for Kansas City. So Belichick's brilliance and genius is, well, we're going to control the ball, we're going to run the ball, and we're going to figure out how to stop Mahomes and stop the big plays. And the, the best thing he did is he saw in that first game as someone who was playing against Mahomes and Hill, Hill had one catch for 42 yards yeah. the entire game. Mm-hmm. And that's the person that is the most dangerous. I think in the first game he had like 180 yards and like seven catches. He scored a touchdown on the first play. play yeah. and, and first play and last play and had like the most... Hit like he was killing me. I lost. The only reason I didn't win all fantasy was because of that game and that play. But he, um, he, Bill, it was classic Belichick neutralized everything. It wasn't just Hill. Travis Kelsey was targeted often, but he's not getting the 150 yards and a touchdown like he normally does. Right, and then I guess the second half deferring there worked in terms of they actually scored whereas they, I always I'm interested in this whole deferring thing because I really think the good offenses should not defer I think you just go for the this day and age you take the ball you take the ball and they still yeah. don't do it and well it worked this time because they did get the ball in the second half after deferring and they went four plays 74 yards in two minutes I mean they were, the Chiefs drives were like lights out fast. Either they were going to go three and out yeah. or they're going to score a touchdown. And then New England punted the ball, so it's 14-7. And then, uh, uh, and then Mahomes, again, got a sack. It killed one of their drives. And uh, New England drove down. They started the drive on the 37 and uh, were able to drive down and actually kick a field goal and make it 17-7. Uh, but then that's where that's, that's when the game became crazy. After 17-7, it's like matching touchdown for touchdown because Kansas City, at the end of the third quarter, they just drove the whole way down there fast. I mean, they had a pass. That's a pass to Williams we talked about. Mm. And Williams played tremendous. I mean, anyone he who was the highlight of the game, anyone who's a Dolphins fan is like, we could have used that. Yeah. Like, that's like what's something we could have had. And I think he just signed like a $5 million contract. It's not some major thing. Mm-hmm. They just signed him and he looks great and in, in, in filling in. I mean, Hunt was the guy who carried the ball and did everything for them. And Williams was just the backup. And there's actually another Williams running back. So people were confused on which Williams. Mm-hmm. They and they Spencer Ware, too. He and was, he was third or fourth right. on the depth chart. Spencer Ware was supposed to be the backup for Hunt. But when Ware got hurt in the Baltimore game, yeah. I think, that's when, when Williams started to play. And he... Wow, amazing. Last he's pr- it's probably 7 games in and he's got to be averaging 130 yards and a touchdown and a half a game. It, it's amazing. So, at 17-14, New England gets the ball and that's where I thought the game could have turned. And this Sorensen for Kansas City. And Kansas City's defense gets criticized. But on fourth and one, when Burkett, when they carry the ball, it's a fourth and one on the 25-yard line. Don't kick a field goal to go up 20-14. They have Burkett carry the ball. He gets stopped right on the one. Sorensen, uh, just a one-on-one, old-school tackle. Tremendous. But then Kansas City, they go three and out. But then that's where the whole mm-hmm. game became crazy because they punt the ball. And the whole issue is, did Edelman fumble the yeah. ball or not fumble the ball? I mean, you that's the craziest play. You watch it from like different angles. And on one hand, it looks like it's thumb hit it and the other it doesn't look like mm-hmm. it like it's clear like yes it did but no it didn't and I guess it was ruled on the field not a fumble so that's why they they didn't rule it as a fumble mm-hmm. and then uh but then they actually then New England gets the ball and they throw the then Sorensen made the interception on Brady uh, but it was off the hands of Edelman. Like, like these interceptions that Brady threw, the first one was his mistake, but that one was clearly mm-hmm. off the hands of Edelman. They, Kansas City gets the ball. They go down and they score two plays <laughs> make it 21-17. So they're up 21-17. And then New England goes down and drives down. And that's where, again, um, uh, that's where there was that, that whole roughing the passer. I mean, there's so many weird plays. There was a play on second and seven on the New England's 28 when Brady got hit in the helmet. And everyone said that's the worst call they've ever seen. But they call that. I've seen that call. Yeah, the, it was it was ticky tack, but that's that gets called. It wasn't like the, this year. The, this year that yeah. calls. But if you're hitting the quarterback in the helmet anywhere in the face yeah. mask, they're going to call that. And that's why I think everyone's like Kellerman and all these other people are like, bro, it's a terrible call, the worst call I've ever seen. I didn't think it was that bad a call. I mean, that's what they call. You know, 
it used to be, yeah, if you wrap up, your fingers lock in a face mask, you're getting that call. But now it's not. You're right. You, if your hand hits him anywhere in the head or in the face region, you're getting a, a penalty for it. And it showed that Brady's head was hit. Like, it hit the face mask. He put his head down. So he definitely wasn't like it was a whiff. It was like a miss. It actually hit him in the mm-hmm. head. So the point it hit him in the face mask, but but just brushed it. But that's what I've seen that call on Rotzenberger. I mean, I watch football as you do. I've seen it called all year. And people are like, oh, my gosh, that's the worst call I've ever seen. And if you watch football all year, you've seen that call made. Once a week minimum, that happens. Yeah, and then but the but then they had a third and eight. Hogan made that great catch, and they challenged it, but it, it was able to uh, to go. And then on fourth and ten, that's when Sony Michelle they the fourth and one at the ten. That's where I said they should have given it to Michelle and not to Burkhead, and they gave it to Michelle on that play. Mm-hmm. And then he runs it for a touchdown. And then um, and then so they're up twenty four twenty one. And that's where I think Kansas City got all these questionable calls. I mean, we were talking about all the calls that Patriots got on this drive. Jackson had two pass interference penalties. Then they had that roughing. Carl Van Noy had the roughing pa- roughing the passer on Mahomes where he hit his knee uh, probably was I mean I can't complain about the one that, that was probably but the two pass interference penalties and then uh, they threw they threw an interception I always say when you have a chance to intercept the ball and you don't that's like crucial because Jones dropped this interception in the end zone when they went for Hill and the next play they, that was the Williams touchdown mm-hmm. so they missed it but that was a chance they had to again New England had a chance to win so they're down 28-24 two minutes to go and one of the key things when you have a last second drive is get a good kickoff return Cordell Patterson 35 mm-hmm. yards that was yeah. a great return and then that was where Brady to Edelman and Hogan and then Hogan had that terrible drop like it was through to him and they were challenging did he catch it or not catch it I mean he's got to make that pass and then on third and ten they threw the interception it was off of Gronk's hands I thought Gronk should have probably caught that but D Ford yeah, was but D, yeah they're blaming that on Brady I th- but Gronk's tall he should catch that ball I mean yeah. he supposedly dunks basketballs everything but uh, <laughs> it was on if a receiver gets it on his fingertips and knocks it that's really means he should have caught the ball yeah but anyway it was D Ford was offsides and so then they were able to get another chance there and uh, then they gave it to and Burkhead then finally scored with 39 seconds to go 31-28 but giving you know, when I saw a 39 seconds, I go, oh, he gave Mahomes enough time to score. <laughs> and then he goes down and uh, is able to kick that, get that field goal. I mean, that was, uh, but they, it was even, it's a 39-yard field goal. It was in, in, in the wind uh, and tie it up and send it overtime. And of course, just like the other game, tied up, overtime, who gets the ball? And that changed the rules. Now, people remember this. In the years past, it was you just had to kick a field goal yeah. and then you'd win. So the rule was they didn't feel like people should just go down and kick a field goal to win. So they said you have to score and go down and kick a you touchdown. You get two first downs and the game is over. It was terrible. Right. So two first downs. <laughs> now, the only thing is now that they moved the kickoff to 25, it's a little weird because teams are starting a little earlier and they, because they moved the kickoff back. And But still... I mean, Brady was able to take the ball down. Now, everyone says, oh, it's so unfair, it's so unfair. Well, Breeze had the ball first yeah. in the Saints game and couldn't do it. So it's not like all you're going to – so Brady took the ball down. Just another masterful, masterful drive. I mean, they had 13 plays, 75 yards. They converted a third and 10 on, on to Edelman, another third and 10 on the 45 to Edelman, a third and 10, the pass to Gronk, that catch. I mean, that pass, I've watched it three times today. I cannot believe Gronk <laughs> caught it. Me neither. And, and Brady throw. threw it. On, on, it was just crazy. And uh, I think Romo had made a good point. I thought they were getting tired. Tired at the end. If I was Kansas City, I would have called timeouts. I thought their defense needed a rest because mm-hmm. it was almost like inevitable that they were just going to run the ball in. And I just think let their defense get a yeah. rest, and they were able to run that in and do it. So. They were getting destroyed on those third downs. Like you, you brought that up. They were thirteen for nineteen on third down conversions. Thirteen for nineteen. Um, I, you know, when you look at the stats at the end of the game, five hundred and twenty-four yards for New England, only two hundred ninety yeah, for if Kansas City. You just City. saw the stats of this game. You would think they got destroyed. Time of possession forty to twenty. Forty Crazy. to twenty. Double the time of possession, and then on the. Uh, uh, it was just it was it was insane in terms of the yardage and, and it, four for, the Chiefs only converted four for nine and the and the New England was thirteen for nineteen so it was 
it was a it was a it was a win. I was happy. I'm the only Steeler fan alive that likes Tom Brady. But I just like I'm like if we're supposed to beat. New England and beat them. Like I, I like the fact that they're great. I like how they play. I think they're exciting to watch. So I'm rooting for Brady. No, listen, I'm in, I'm in that that wagon with you, and I can understand if you're an AFC East fan or a AFC, you know, like a Steelers fan who you're constantly having to beat this guy to get to the Super Bowl, having some animosity. But someone like me who's an NFC fan and don't, you know, this is I'm witnessing greatness. So this is what I want to see every week. I want to see the best quarterback and the best team be there and that's what they were this entire postseason i'm excited i want the patriots to win and uh, you know obviously we'll talk more about that next week on i run sports but i'm all in on the patriots over the rams and it was a great win and brady it was a tremendous game and all these people that are saying i get it the whole map i just i mean not just max kellerman there were other people that were like well there there are total haters and i'm like you have to be objective in terms of looking at what you're watching and i think it's just disrespectful not disrespectful to sports I, i'm not, like you can have your own opinion and, I'm, and i'd like people to have their own opinion but the fact is that you even i if like lebron wins three more titles then i would say he's better than jordan like you have you come in with preconceived notions about things mm-hmm. but they can that's what's so great about sports is that your notions can change and when you see someone and with all this pressure in kansas city and what he had to go through i just and make the passes and his he doesn't have the, the team out there i will say sony michelle it was a great draft pick by uh yeah, by, by belichick and he was important he carried about 29 times 120 yards he was that, even better the week before and it was that was when you saw that the patriots had drafted a first round running back there was something about him they liked they liked he didn't fumble the ball they liked he was could run hard and he was hurt the beginning part of the season but boy did he matter and they were able to use him burkhead and james white those three ways i mean real re- re- utilizing and before we go to the next point i couldn't believe Gron- edelman had seven catches gronk six white four hogan five burkhead four i mean uh, being able to spread the ball to all these wide receivers that's what makes Brady the greatest yeah no it's ridiculous how he can get it to anybody and make anybody a star at the same time 751 it's Iron Sports 95.9 the true oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo let's try to fly through uh, some NBA here Ira so you were at the um the Warriors first game with Boogie Cousins they were saying that this type of injury especially for a massive guy like Boogie Cousins is potentially career-ending. How did you think he looked in, in, in person? First of all, let's remember who Boogie Cousins was. He, in Sacramento, he averaged 27 points, 12 rebounds, and a block and a half a game, and shot, a shot at three. And then he went to when he traded to New, New Orleans in the middle of 16-17 because he just had a bad attitude, and he would get thrown out of games. He averaged, like, he had 10 objections, 10 uh, ejections, and uh, 15 technicals and 10 ejections, like, every season. And he's never played in a playoff game, which is amazing. But in New Orleans, in 48 games last year, he had 25 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, and 1.6 blocks. I mean, this is like MVP type stats. Video numbers. game stats, yeah. He tears his Achilles. People are like, okay, it's over. And so, but he's been practicing and no one's been watching. He's supposedly been behind a curtain. Nobody can see him run up and down. So this was, it was very like the unveiling of mm. DeMarcus Cousins. So I wanted to be there to see it. And it was, it was exciting. It was a playoff atmosphere. Coolio played at halftime. They went all <laughs> out with the, the singing of the national anthem. The Clippers are not an exciting team to watch. They really have no players that are interest except, I mean, really, Tobias Harris, uh, uh, SGA is a good player. But besides that, they're really not, it wasn't really about the Clippers, it was about the Warriors. And I love the fact that you could see him coming to this team and people say, well, it's the greatest starting lineup of all time because they're replacing Kevin Looney, who I think is one of their biggest problems with that team, with the Cousins. 
Now, what does Cousins bring? He doesn't bring uh, the great defensive presence that you might think, but he, he has, shoots the ball well from threes. He's a great passer, and he rebounds. And I think that's the when you saw in the game, that's what Looney couldn't do. That's what their centers in the past haven't been able to do. Just get rebounds. Sometimes that's all they need. He's also tough. He's tough, and and it was he and he's tough, and he gets those rebounds, and he hangs in there, and that's going to help. And so he's not the greatest defensive president. And he's not going to block a million shots. But the fact is, he could just sometimes when you have Durant and everyone else running around shooting threes, and they run this beautiful offense when he, he was two for three from his 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 line was crazy 15 minutes five from 11 shooting um three for four from three point line six rebounds three assists to steal and he plus and six fouls yeah, but in, extrapolate that over 40 minutes right amazing <laughs> but he, and they were plus 21 when he was in the game you could see how hard they played when he was in the game they really wanted to make this work like i think this is motive more than anything it is motivating the warriors i mean this is one of the things that the warriors are like okay now we're bringing this great star in people said it's not going to work he's not going to fit in we're we're going to show everybody. I mean, there's a point, and also the refs were terrible. They they call, I think Cousins has this where everyone gives him bad calls. Like, <laughs> he's coming back from Achilles tear, and you get three guys jumped on him, and they called him for a foul. And I'm like, how are you calling him for a foul? And then they're just fouling him out. And Green then got a technical. And the problem the Warriors have is that they're all, they all now get technicals. I mean, they had like five technicals mm-hmm. in that game. So they all complained to the refs. The refs call it. But it was really exciting. I mean, they totally blew them out. But it was neat to see him run the floor. He ran really well. That's one thing. He hustled. I watched that. Like when you watch on TV, you don't see him, but he really, after he got a rebound, would run down on the floor on the other side. His first basket was this great dunk where he sort of took off from right in front of that foul line. Uh, but I think it's going to be great to see how he's playing tonight again. But it was it was awesome to see him for that first game. You know, a lot of people have been talking about James Harden a ton. I and he does. I mean, he does fill out a stat line. I'll, I'll give him that. But I, I, do you think they're overhyping who James Harden is at this point? Especially the Rockets are not good. Well, I, I I agree. I mean, for the month he's had forty four points for the month in six in nine games, but he's only five and four. So it's not like he's in the last. He's not like they're losing, and but he's scoring. It's Russell in, Westbrook MVP numbers, right? He's he's going to win the MVP. This is probably again what MVP numbers, but. Uh, I just hear comments. He's the best one-on-one player of all time. First of all, he played terrible at the beginning of the year, and he there's no Chris Paul, there's no Clinton Capella now, and the way the refs are calling, they're just letting him. And he can shoot the threes and do the step back, and they're just letting him. And they're and he's shooting so many free throws. I, th- to compare him, he's the same. He's the best one-on-one player of all time is insane. <laughs> like there's no way because they don't they, the way they call the rules. Michael Jordan every time he drove the ball would been he would have he would have scored every time he touched the ball. Yeah. Michael Jordan would just got the ball, drove and either shot free throws or got a dunk. I mean, and also probably got a dunk because they they can't even hard, foul him hard. Mm-hmm. So compare him saying he's the best one-on-one player, or even Kobe when Kobe first came in the league. I, I just it's way and also let him perform, please, in in April. Not alone May and yeah. June. I mean, he's not <laughs> been well in the playoffs. Played terrible in the playoffs, and even in the stretch he had and where he's been scoring all these points. In one game, he had. 38 points. He shot, they lost to Orlando and he shot one for 17. One for, how many other players could shoot one for 17? He can. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how many players get 16 shot attempts and they're not hitting them? Right. <laughs> 7.56, Ira on sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, I don't know how much you follow New York media, but everybody that I'm talking to up there is all in on the losing for Zion Williamson campaign that the Knicks need to be on. Not that the Knicks need to try to lose on purpose. They're going to lose anyways, but this kid's special, but I think you guys did pick up a loss this week and also a pretty costly injury. 
Well, I the loss was to Syracuse on Tuesday, on Monday after we did our show. The win on Saturday against Virginia was really exciting. It was a great game. Virginia, it was one of the fourth time that there's a coach's poll. No one cares about polls in college basketball that much anymore. No. But there was a coach's poll and a writer's poll. And it's one of the fourth time the coaches and writers number one team because Virginia was undefeated. So they actually won versus one played each other in Duke. Um, Tyus Jones got hurt in the Syracuse game, their point guard. And that's what messed them up a little bit in the Syracuse game. But against Duke I and mean, against uh, Virginia, uh, uh, Williamson was just amazing. I mean, he had a play where he got a rebound, and just, I mean, it's he took the ball down coast to coast and went through every single Virginia player for a dunk and dunked over three players. It was absolutely one of the great. Like I watched it a million times. I mean, it's now the Zion and uh, R.J. Barrett had thirty points, Zion had twenty-seven points, and that's uh, fifty-seven, and they won seventy-two to seventy. I mean, all their points are those two guys. Um, but that was a great win over UVA. They both shot poorly. I mean, Duke's not shooting well from threes, two for fourteen, and UVA was three for seventeen. But uh, it was a good win for Duke. Zion is the real deal. I'm going to see him on Tuesday. I'm going tomorrow to the pit game, so I'll get to see him in person nice. for the first time. So excited about that. Triple double incoming. Yes. <laughs> um, Ira, let's talk. You know, it was really cool. You know, we had Fran- uh, Francis uh, Francois TFO on this show a couple of months ago. And he's getting a lot of press today all across ESPN and all the, the major outlets. So that that's really cool. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Australia. Well, I try. I mean, we try to get people on our show. Like, I think Jeff Nixon is going to be a head football coach, like at a big time, either yeah. school or the NFL. Like that's what, so we have guys on our people on our show that I think are up and coming. And I always saw, I saw TFO at Delray. And I thought he was tremendous. And uh, there's been a lot. He was only, I think, like the eighth ranked American at that time or ninth ranked American. Mm-hmm. And now he's number one, uh, number one American. But he finally is having a great tournament in, in, in Australia. And he plays Nadal tomorrow. Uh, he upset uh, Kevin Anderson, the five seed, the Wimbledon finalist. And then he also beat Dimitrov in five sets. So he's now won four matches. Uh, he's been in the quarterfinals. I mean, this is this is a win. If he loses Nadal 0 and 0 and 0, it's been successful. His, the odds on beating Nadal are not that high at all. I mean, Nadal's playing great right now and it looks like it's going to be a Djokovic Nadal final because Federer lost to the Greek players uh, Tsitsipas uh, it's a hard name to pronounce but um, I've been wondering how you say no that. <laughs> but anyway but but uh, and the one of the I consider one of the best matches I've ever seen was Djokovic Nadal in Australia there it was uh, it was years ago when it was just it was a, a total total classic uh, when Djokovic won 7-5 in the fifth set um, but it looks like those two are going to be in the finals uh, but some other interesting points is Zarev who we talk about is from uh, the German he's the four seed uh, again I mean he continually is the number four seed in the country third seed fourth seed he lost to Ronick of Canada 6-1-6-1-7-6 I mean his performance in Grand Slams is terrible and that's what's happening some of these players they do well they win enough of the tournaments that don't really not that big name but when they go to these Grand mm. Slams they're just not playing in these five sets I've uh, never well. seen someone smash a racket more times and not break it yeah they showed that yeah. a lot of Zara. That was <laughs> so when you're famous for smashing your racket and not how well you play and then and then of course we've talked about this before and I'm going to say it again what in the world is Serena Williams being seated 16 in the tournament? That made no sense. And they, and why? This is stop with the seedings. I mean, it is like if we, it, it's like if they had Duke. Somehow Duke would lose something. Say Zion Williams got suspended for five games or whatever, and Duke lost all five games. Would you see Duke like eighth? Like you don't like you if they're you see you know Serena Williams is the favorite, the betting favorite to win the tournament, mm-hmm. and you see her 16th, and she played Halep, Simona Halep, who she continually beats all the time. And so she, I stayed up till three in the morning or four in the morning last night and watched them beat them, but. 
But um, so it's interesting to see, see see if Serena can then also win her 24th Grand Slam title. So this weekend's going to be interesting with Djokovic and Nadal. See if TFO can actually pull the major upset over Nadal. But again, tremendous tournament for him already. He's only 20 years old. So this is great to become a, this known as a great young American player coming up. But uh, I love the Australian Open. I just wish it was during normal hours to watch. <laughs> Adjust your sleep schedule. I already do it all the time. Um, this was a really good weekend if you're a fan of fighting. And Greg Hardy got a disqualification. I hate him. That was great. Manny Pacquiao got a big win. Tell us about it. Well, it was weird. Two things. Pacquiao fought Bronner, who we talked about last week. And Pacquiao looked great. Um, I saw a replay of that fight, and he really dominated. He almost could won almost every round. And he looked really, really good. Now, there's a question whether he hurt his eye or not hurt his eye. There's always, there's always something, always with, something. Pacquiao, with Pacquiao. There's always, never can be whatever. But he looked really good. And for a 40-year-old, and he looked great, really. But probably the best he's looked in years. So now people are saying Mayweather is intended. So they're like saying, is there going to be a chance to fight Mayweather again? So that's just something. And ESPN finally put UFC. They had the first UFC card on. ESPN, uh, where Sahuda went against Dillashaw, where the flyweight uh, played, fought the bantamweight. Uh, two different classes, they had a, a match, and, and Sahuda beat Dillashaw in 30 seconds, and that was a, a, a great... It was, some people think it was a quick stoppage, but... Um, it had great ratings on ESPN. They did the prelims on ESPN and then they went to ESPN Plus where you had to pay that $5 mm-hmm. package and they had 500,000 new buys. So it was a smart, brilliant move by ESPN to put that on their ESPN Plus package. And so everyone who likes the UFC, is, it's now the home. They went from Fox to ESPN. It looks like it was a good move. Yeah, they actually, it was the first time I've, ESPN had an article out trying to explain to people what UFC is. Like what? What common strikes are and stuff like this? Because it's new to their format. Let's educate our fans as if they didn't know. Uh, it's Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, moving on, I think we're going to see your boy uh, Tiger pretty soon here. Well, what do you think? And what's going on in golf? And and you think what we're going to see uh, our first appearance? Well, he's playing Tory Pines this weekend, Farmer Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. They don't really release. Is that we're going to talk about next week? We can talk about golf. We're going to talk about trying to lay out like where Tiger's schedule is going to be and whether he's going to do the Honda Classic or not because I still it's, don't see him doing yeah. it. I don't. It's either giving up Bay Hill or he's, he's not going to play. He's one of the two and he wins Bay Hill so much. So it, I just don't know if he's going to play Honda. But um, we'll, be, we'll talk about that. But he's going to play this weekend. Um, this weekend, Mickelson led for three rounds at the Desert Classic. Uh, it's nice. I mean, people are saying, well, he lost in, a, in a, the 18th. to So he finished second. But boy, Mickelson looked great. He shot a 25 under. Through, you know, going through like Halfway through Saturday, I'm keeping up with it, and I'm like, this guy looks amazing. His swing was just, he was so dialed in. It it was incredible. I thought he was going to walk away with this one. Right, and uh, it'll be exciting. I mean, it, look, golf is great when Mickelson's playing well, when Tiger's playing well. Uh, it's, that's one fun thing about golf is these players can play so long and choose you you follow them for many years, then you can keep following them, and they're playing at a high level. So it's going to be like if Brady played for another like five years, maybe that would be great. Uh, before we wrap it up, Ira. Manny Mikado, Bryce Harper still unsigned. Have you heard about the mystery team now that's supposedly in the running for Mikado? I don't know. You might you know, like this. Well, spring training Pittsburgh. is no, that's impossible. <laughs> well, all the jo- all the Pirates fans are joking. Like if they if they do sign and they'll trade him by by the All Star game. <laughs> I think they would have no other. That would be their entire player, their payroll. But but I the only reason why, the only thing with Mikado that is interesting is that there might not be that long-term deal out there. And he might want to just sign this huge, like, 35 million one-year I mean, I don't know what... Like, it's weird. There, there's Baseball's changing. Baseball's changing. They don't want to sign the long-term deals. People have been criticizing them. But the, Yan- the Yankees haven't... Since the Ellsbury contract, they haven't signed anyone long. And they've just waited. That contract's not over yet. But you're starting to see these... 
no one is signing these long-term deals. Everything's changing. They're, they're paying the relievers these three years, $20 million. You saw Joe Kelly's deal with the, the Dodgers. But you're not seeing when the big market teams aren't involved. And when you hear teams like the Phillies and the White Sox, that's why it's 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 weird on Harper and Machado. And you have two guys out there, but it's getting warm. I mean, it's getting closer. These where they have to make a decision sometime. The, the reported deal for Machado is pretty modest. Um, that that uh, Chicago's laid out seven years. You know, I think it's like an, an AAV of like twenty two and a half mil. That's. A lot less than they were anticipating getting. Well, I think we're seeing a lot like we did last year with J.D. Martinez, where the Red Sox, where people were they like, nobody nobody yeah. was bidding on him. He signed for $100 million, and he certainly you know, won them a World Series title with that. So that's going to be exciting. Ira, where are you headed this week? I am headed to the Duke pit game. So tomorrow I'll get to see Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, and um, hopefully uh, this will be uh, – they'll probably destroy Pitt. But I want to see Zion, and he'll, of course, only play one year. But it is interesting. The teams are really tanking now. I mean, the Knicks today like made an announcement, like, we're not playing anybody in our game because we want to get these other players that have no chance to ever be on the <laughs> roster. Like, like, they're giving up stupid reasons. Like, stop even lying. Like, they're trying to pretend like they're – but now you have the Knicks and the Cavaliers. Like, this race to the bottom is just more exciting exciting than anything there was suck for luck now it's trying for zion i guess yes, i mean the we'll knicks uh, the cavaliers and the suns and the bulls are all doing everything possible to to lose it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out and that's why we have the draft and maybe the, they can rig it again like they did when patrick ewing joined the knicks so. i think zion's worth it's definitely worth it and i think that it's going to change he, he will be it's great because lebron is nearing the end of his career and if zion is as good as i think he is we're going to see the beginning of his career so. we are out of time i want to thank jeff nixon so much for stopping by here he was a great guest we got more coming up for you next monday night it's ira on sports and we will talk to you then